How you been, mate? I'm pretty good, thanks. Yeah, um, I'll be honest. When you sent me the message through, it was a sort of, oh, yeah, I'm meant to be doing a podcast this evening <laughs> moment. Um, <laughs> even though I knew it all day yesterday, I knew it all morning this morning. But yeah, I, yeah. I was just watching an episode of Stargate. It's like, oh, yeah, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that actually, that that is perfect. Um you are the you're the second booking today, so I don't know if you saw the Twitter chatter, but I spoke with uh, uh, Katie Nicolau earlier today for a, a, you know an upcoming episode, be a past episode by the time the audience hears this. Um, but you know uh, if you if you're not familiar with her, she is uh, a meteorologist here in the states uh, in okay. the state of Michigan, uh, and she she uh, made a little bit of prominence uh, going around uh, last winter as the um, meteorologist who advised perhaps not eating the icicles off of your roof because of all the stuff that is on your roof, like bird poop and chemicals and stuff like that. And, um, and, and people got upset because, you know, they like to eat the icicles. <laughs> like, well, you know, it's not an invalid point. Anyway, big Trekkie too. So, of course, a good fit for the show. Yeah, uh, uh, sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Star Trek fan, uh, which is why we got you on our podcast in the first place. Right. And man, I love your podcast, by the way, uh, Beyond Farpoint. Um, it's always nice to see a new episode sitting in my catcher. Uh, then uh, catching the time to listen is the uh, is the key. Um, and because podcasts are usually my um, quiet time on the way to work. Uh, and uh, I have a backlog right now. Uh, but yours is you're, that's a that's a monthly drop, right? It's not weekly. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's either the second or third Tuesday of the month. I should really know that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, I, I believe it's the second Tuesday of the month. Um, so yeah, once uh, once a month would be on for our podcast. The Tuesday of Tuesdays, right? Yes. If it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, just by the way things are counted, the second Tuesday of the month is the Tuesday of the month. Right. I mean, when you go by weeks, right. Yeah. It's the second (laughs) Tuesday. Um, I often, you know, I tell folks, especially when it comes to to the folks who are fans, but maybe not not, you know, locked in to the level that that some of us are. Uh, But our our in our fan references are in universe references. Right. Whereas on that other star franchise, Star Wars, love it also big thing for mm-hmm. me but but the you know like may the fourth is a pun it it's not in the canon uh trek tuesday you know stems from uh everything being available on tuesday from generations that's a thing we have it comes yeah. from our canon uh you know first contact day is literally a date on the calendar because it's you know it's first contact day um might be in the future but it's ours and then you have star trek day uh of course which is the day uh that uh the enterprise launched on uh, nbc back in the day um and i just love i love that about our franchise there's a there's a couple of others as well there's captain picard day yep yep um and we were trying to get a uh, a Star Trek day going here in the UK for a while um, because obviously we've got our days and months the other way around in our day. Right, right. So, so we were trying to do 17th of January as Star Trek day, 1701. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I support that, by the way. Um, one, of the things, uh, one of the things that, that – uh, people in the states tend to be failed uh, failed to educate uh, educated on is that the vast majority of the rest of the world does dates the other way <laughs> you know um, just like the vast majority of the rest of the English speaking or English language using world spells everything the proper way and um, so on and etc <laughs> we made we changed things just to be different you know just to be American can I ask you a question on that? Of one, course, brother. Something yeah. that's always been uh, something that's always um, bugged me really about the date format because you say, "Oh, it's um, you know, say it's, oh, it's February the first or April second or things like that," right? Right. But isn't it born on the fourth of July? Right, right, right. So you know, you think it would be oh four oh seven seven six, or born right? On July fourth, yeah, which doesn't yeah. sound the same. Yeah, no, we're born on the fourth of July. That's how that's how we that's how the song goes anyway. 
Mm. Or the movie, at least, and the saying, you know, <laughs> yeah. born on the Fourth of July. I, uh, I was, but otherwise, you know, we say, you know, I say I'm born on May 22nd. I don't say I was born on 22nd of May, right? Mm. It's, yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. Um, and there was a, there was another, uh, you know, language is something that just fascinates me, especially like etymology, where words come from, why we use phrases, etc., and so on, and. Um, uh, something that caught my attention recently is the idea of English, right? Uh, which is English without Latin influence, and you don't use any lint words, and it's all, um, you know, it's all Germanic and, and uh, Angle uh, words from <clears throat> from uh, not necessarily Old English, but they're more modern words. And the fascinating thing is, um, just using those, uh, just using those words that are only part of that heritage uh, of English, um, you can still like get probably 90% of what's coming out. Um, there are just a few words that you're, you, you know, you'd scratch your head about what that means because it's not a common word. Mm. Um, mm. but a lot of the context gives you, and it just fascinates me, um, because it sounds so familiar yet. So, uh, distinct, right. Um, I just kind of stumbled into that uh, down a YouTube rabbit hole the other day. <laughs> Did you um, have you seen any of Tom Scott's videos? I haven't. I haven't. Uh, educate if, me on this. If you're into English language, he's got a series of videos on his YouTube channel. Um, he's a great person to watch anyway because I don't think I've come across a single video of his that's just been boring or you know not interesting. Um, he does a lot of things like he'll go to random places around the world, and it's it's called. I think it's called interest in places or places uh -huh. of interest or something. Um, and it'll just be, um, he did, he did one for instance about San Francisco Bay and how there's a whole team of people to make sure that San Francisco Bay um, works as it should. The, the whole water um, infrastructure around it is right. It, it's designed it, it, you know, there's people who work on it to make sure that the city of San Francisco doesn't flood. But then you'll talk about um, what was the one I was looking at the other day. Uh, um, sorry, right? He uh, he's got one as well about uh, paternoster lifts um, or paternoster elevators, uh, uh -huh. whereby instead of them going up and down, to, uh, you know, you press the button and they come to you. Um, they sort of reach the top of the building. They'll go round a pulley. And then come back down the other side, and you have to get off on the top floor, otherwise you'll end up being flipped yourself. Um, <laughs> but the reason I bring him up is because he's got a whole series on um, English language and the history of the English language and peculiarities about it as well. Um, like when you're describing something, you know, you, you would say the... Uh, the big green apple, but you wouldn't say the green big apple. Right, um, right. There's an order of a to adjectives, uh, which yeah. is interesting, right? Yeah, and people instinctively know it, but they're mm -hmm. not told how to right. do it. So I've uh, I have, maybe I have seen that video because I definitely have seen a video regards to those what you know those those in, uh, inherent rules to language and English isn't alone in that you know every um, it, it's it's where you know the line between language and communication blurs uh, because you know again so much as as we've all learned to um, to a good effect with COVID, uh, so much of our communication is also conveyed through our facial expressions that mm. a lot of that, and that, you know, that's been the problem with the internet and the keyboard warrior is that context and all of that is lost behind text. Um, because yeah. you, you know, so much of human communication, uh, is built on us being able to see each other, uh, and see our faces and things like that. Um, and so one of the things too, though, and it may be, it, it, it I'm sure this gentleman, Tom, I'm sure he's done some some work on it, too. But someone who can read or, uh, you know, uh, Shakespeare or do Shakespeare in the in the way it was pronounced uh, in Elizabethan uh, English. Um, that's fascinating, too, because it, it changes a lot of the nuance um, and words that we the way we pronounce certain words now don't particularly rhyme. Uh, yeah. but when pronounced in that Elizabethan style, uh, uh, the cadence, you know, it's not just the iambic pentameter that makes it easy. There's actually that rhyme in there too, because 
the pronunciation is is a different enough that you know what they're saying, but also again, it sounds somewhat foreign. Yeah, and the other thing as well is that people look at things if if they're written um, old fashioned as well because they, they'll see it as ye olde. Mm-hmm. Um, or you know Y E O L D E, and they'll think that's how it's pronounced. Ye olde. It's not. It's pronounced the old because that's how they spoke, but they had different lettering, um, and as a result, they've just they've changed over time. Not the not that part of the language. So you'd still say oh, it's the old pub rather than ye olde pub. Right. So. Exactly. Well, and I, that's something I learned very recently is that that shorthand, the Y-E, is pronounced. It, it, it's the. itself the letter, right? Yeah. The Y-E is is the letter for, and it's like the, I can't, I don't know the name, but it's the conjunction of the A-E. Uh, that's a letter we don't use anymore. Um, mm. And and that's one of the fascinating things about, uh, you know, the English language, our alphabet has transmogrified over the years and we've dropped certain letters uh, that were letters that had entire meanings for themselves. Um, and now, you know, that context is lost and we, we pronounce it modern way, but that is just a letter that means the, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and it's like the ampersand, um, you know, it's, it's definition is the symbol that means and. <laughs> um, yeah. it's, it's, it's definition is itself. I mean, and, and it used to be, um, uh, it used to be part of the way we recited the alphabet too. You at the end of the alphabet, um, you know, depending on the side of the pond you're on, you'd either say Z and per se and, uh, or Z, you know. Uh, but that's where ampersand comes from is from having said and per se and, where you know, mm. that literally the thing that is and. <laughs> well, I'll uh, I'll blow your mind a little bit uh, more than imagine because you know I'm in the UK. Um, I'm in Wales rather than England, and uh-huh. Wales has got its own alphabet. Oh, uh, nice! Yeah. Oh, I was I learned a little bit about Welsh the other day. Yeah. Yep. So we've got um, we've got more vowels uh, than in English, and non-Welsh speakers. I I can't speak Welsh myself, but I know the sort of ins and outs of what the Welsh language is all about. Um, but we've got W and Y as vowels as well. But mm-hmm. people look at it and go, well, why, have, why have you got so many Ws and Ys um, in the Welsh language? And it's like, because they're vowels. They're treated, you know, given the same sort of priority in the language as A, E, I, O, and U. Um, but likewise, we don't have the letter Q. We don't have the letter X. We don't have the letter Z. Um, oh, that's fine. And you r- very rarely get things with the letter K, um, and you get double letters as well. Like the double D is a letter. NG is a letter. Um, and they're always put in that context. Oh, that's very cool. And that's, you know, uh, Spanish has four more letters in there in its alphabet than English does. Um, mm. The double L, the Inya, uh, CH uh, is its own letter. Um, yeah. And, uh, oh, it's uh, uh, that one. And then oh, what am I missing? Um Oh, I'm terrible now. Oh, gosh. Uh, double R. Yeah. R. Yeah. R. Yeah. That's it. When the one where you're supposed to roll your R's. Uh, and, of course, the double Y is pronounced, or a double L is pronounced like a Y. Um, and, uh, but, yeah, the, the uh, it, we, we especially as Americans tend to um, over, I think, overemphasize the importance of the way we use English. <laughs> and and forget that you know uh, especially especially for uh, for the Welsh uh, you know that's a whole other part of culture there and I, I uh, a lot of folks lump uh, Wales in with you know England uh, which is mm-hmm. not the same place um, by the way <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah. tell tell me a little bit um, you know about uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about for my own uh, education. Uh, is is F1 racing. And that's another passion you have. Is that correct? It's possibly my biggest passion after Star Trek. Um, yeah. I've watched it on and off going through the 80s and 90s. Um, I watched some pretty important races in the time uh, I saw uh, the season finale where 
Michael Schumacher tried to crash Jacques Villeneuve out of the 1997 Formula One World Championship, which got Michael Schumacher disqualified from that whole season. I remember watching um, the 1994 San Marino Grand Prix, uh, which any good F1 fan would know is unfortunately the possibly one of the darkest moments in um, Formula One where Etten Senna was killed um, and and sorry, Roland Ratzenberger the previous day, uh, which had also had a number of major crashes for drivers like uh, JJ Leto, Rubens Barrichello, um, who were, I believe, hospitalised for some of the, the time afterwards. So it was a very, very nasty day in Formula One racing. Um, but it wasn't until 1998 where I thought, I'm, I'm into this. I'm going to watch it all, all the way from the beginning, qualifying the race every weekend it's on and since that weekend in 19 or sorry since the australian grand prix i want to say in 1998 there's only been one grand prix i've ever missed um and i can't even remember which one it was all i know is that i i I couldn't watch it live i happened to see the result and i i uh, messaged someone who i knew had seen the race and went is it a good race and they went no and I went, that's fine. I'm not going to bother watching it. So that's, that's the only time I've ever missed a race. And I can't even remember which race it was. I even watched the 2005 United States Grand Prix, which turned out to be a farce as only six cars actually competed. Oh, <laughs> well, so, OK, so uh, take me a little bit through um, uh, what Formula One is. Uh, do you know a little bit about the history of it, how it got started? Um, I'm going to lay off going through the rule book because we'd be here pro- possibly for the next several weeks um, <laughs> going into the intricacies of it. Uh, and to be honest, there's a lot of rules in there that even I don't know. And they'll say in commentary and they'll say something like, well, they wouldn't be able to do that. And I go, oh, right. OK, well, that's news to me. Um, but it is meant to be the pinnacle of motorsports. Uh, obviously, there's motorsport categories around the world. Uh, you're probably more familiar with your NASCAR, your your IndyCar um, and various motor racing categories like that uh indycar is possibly the closest equivalent to formula one uh on the calendar uh but even then the cars aren't quite as fast i i think they accelerate faster but formula one's got the higher top speed right um they did a uh, one of the races on the indycar calendar i know is the circuit of the americas and from what I understand, I think that the Indy cars lap that track about 10 seconds a lap slower than the Formula One cars do. But uh, the Indy cars mainly are, are designed for, uh, like the NASCARs are, they're designed for uh, oval circuits um, right. and the race tracks, which are obviously more about your uh, sharp corners, hairpins, chicanes, are more of a thing. Uh, well, I don't want to say afterthought because this sounds like they they just sort of bolted on afterwards, but they're designed for high speed oval racing. Right. And well, and, um, you know, Formula One, if I'm not mistaken, or at least in some places, uh, you know, it's it, the track is on. It's not a, it's not a, a fixed uh, thing in the place where the race takes place. Uh, the, the track is is built around the the area. Is that correct? Uh, you're talking about street circuits. Um, yeah. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> um, there are a couple of circuits which the rest of the year is a city, is a town, is is a normal thriving uh, community. Monte Carlo is probably the best example of it because uh, even if you're not into Formula One, chances are you've heard of the Monaco Grand Prix. Right. Um, the whole principality pretty much shuts down for two hours every Sunday for the race to take place. And it's fascinating to watch because as soon as the race finishes, you've got the marshals then opening up the roads ready for the day-to-day business to take place again. Um, They they start building the track a couple of months beforehand, but obviously all the businesses, and let's face it, in Monaco, you've got 
high <laughs> high value businesses um, right. they can't really afford to shut down for anything more than a few hours a day so yeah um as i said that's probably the most famous one but you've got baku in azerbaijan uh you've got the singapore street circuit even places like australia they've got the albert park circuit which is as it sounds based in a uh, parkland in melbourne um and the rest of the time it is just a normal park uh people can walk around it walk their dogs um drive around it um so yeah it's these are sort of temporary circuits uh that pop up for race weekend and for the rest of the for the rest of the year they're just normal roads they're just normal cities and towns uh but there are places where they're they the circuit is you know a permanent installation as well then uh, absolutely some of the uh, some of the most famous ones uh silverstone monza Spa Francochamp is kind of a, a, a actually sorry, uh, Spa Francochamp used to be temporary, but now it's permanent. Uh, that's in Belgium. Um, where else have we got Suzuka in Japan, uh, Hungara Ring in Hungary? These are all s- permanent circuits. So all year round, there's racing that goes on at these tracks. Um, very just cool. Not Formula One. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's very cool. So now about the the technology of Formula One, you mentioned it's the it's meant to be the the pinnacle of of this motorsport. Um, I mean, I've seen like these these cars are engineered like a cockpit. You know, they basically bolt the driver into these things, um, <laughs> and you know, and 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 everything's it's like more like a joy or more like a PS one controller than it is a steering wheel that, that a typical driver would be familiar with, right? The steering wheel's got so many controls on it um, because the driver has to be able to adjust anything. Uh, so, you know, you're not just talking about what you would have in a, a normal road car of your accelerator, your brake, your steering, your gears uh, for just basically driving the car. You've got everything from uh, being able to change the braking levels. So, you might want the rear brakes to brake more than the front brakes. You might want the um, you might want the camber on the car to be different. A, a lot of things, however, would be done in the pits between races. Uh, sorry, uh, between sessions. So th- you may find that they come in, and then you'll see a couple of mechanics there doing something on the front wing or the rear wing, and they're just slightly changing the angle uh, to give them some more or more speed or more grip um but yeah there's there's stuff that they can do on the circuit they can obviously speak to the uh speak to the team uh even down to things like there's a button on there to have a drink of water or i should say energy drink yeah yeah uh which is you know um probably one of the you know i would uh, say uh, more important innovations because it's not like it can uh take a minute to reach over for the uh, cup holder uh, in a Formula <laughs> One car, you know, you're not uh, you're not taking potty breaks, and you're not uh, you're not getting snack breaks. Uh, and well, what's the average speed uh, for for a typical race? It depends on the race itself. Monaco's top speed, Monaco's average speed, I should say, is less um, than normal because it is quite twisty and tight. Uh, they don't really get a chance to get up to top speed going around Monaco. Monza and Silverstone are probably your best uh, comparisons there where it's unusual if you don't get an average speed of over 200 miles an hour. Yeah, that's fast. and that's an average speed. So <laughs> I could I guess you know I could see the appeal of wanting to basically drive a plane that doesn't leave the ground uh at 200 miles an hour. Um, I mean, yeah. it's like a reverse plane, you know, it's meant to be pushed into the ground rather than lifted off the ground. Uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's something. Um, because I know, you know, uh, and, and, and I, there's probably not a lot of Americans that haven't gone about a hundred miles an hour because most cars will go there. Uh, obviously there are, there are a few of us who've gotten, who've done dumber things than that. But even then you're just like, wow, that is really, really fast. I can't imagine, you know, and then something that is so, 
precision machined and precision controlled, um, just zipping along that fast. Oh, that would be that would be mind boggling, you know? Yeah. I mean, the closest I can think of really for for on the American side is uh, things like the Indy 500 and the Brickyard 400. Uh, they they reach absolutely phenomenal speeds in those cars. I mean, I'm not a fan of oval racing because to me... There's not a lot of challenge in it, to my opinion, but that's just me. Oh, there's an immense amount of challenge into, uh, involved in oval racing, but it's not very visual. And that's yeah, the thing for yeah. me. It, it's, it's an incredibly hard sport. It's just, in my opinion... It's all in the engineering. Not that interest to watch. Not yeah. that interesting to watch. So, I guess that would that's that's the more fair opinion right there. It doesn't interest me to watch uh, what they do yeah. to make those cars perform. I find fascinating, um, but uh, yeah, the execution of it is just like, ooh, we're gonna do this how many times in a row today? Uh, now that <laughs> the 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 contrast to that is, um, <clears throat> set me down to a racing game, and I will spend. Well, well, more than the usual number of hours that it would take to get through a typical race. I mean, I've sat uh, in front of Gran Turismo back in the day for mm-hmm. you know, you know, tens of hours uh, at a time. Just I loved that game. You know, getting my car as as you you know as you were saying, getting it just custom uh, and having everything tweaked, the camber, the braking, all of that, just tuned in. Um, I knew those circuits uh, inside and out. You know, uh, and that made it a that that was a lot of fun. I just don't. You know, I don't uh, doing that, watching that in the real world, I guess, since I'm not the one making it happen, has a whole other effect. (laughs) Yeah. um, Ironically, when it comes to racing games, I I do love racing games. I've just been um, playing the career mode of (laughs) Formula One 2021. Um, I have problems with setting the car up. Um, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm absolutely useless at that side of it. Uh, even though I know the science behind it, yeah, you know, okay, if you want more grip, you give yourself a bit more wing angle, and uh, you know, if you want top speed, then you extend your gear ratios. If you want more acceleration, you shorten them down. I know the science behind it. Actually, putting it into practice in a racing game, no chance. Um, yep. I'll, I'll be if you let me loose with the setup of a car, then I'll be getting lapped within, well, three laps of any race. So. Oh yeah, yeah. I uh, I used to, uh, you know, I haven't gone back to it in a while. I have a a couple retro uh, gaming options, and uh, I haven't put the work back into uh, getting good at, at Gran Turismo again. Um, and I haven't picked up a more modern racing game uh, just out of, you know, lack of time. Uh, but <clears throat> I, uh, I intend to, uh, as more, you know, I have Xbox Game Pass and uh, a lot of, there are a lot of racing options on there that I'm eventually going to get a chance to pour some effort into. Um, have you tried so, Forza Horizon 5 yet? Uh, you know, I have uh, recently, um, and I love the Forza games. Um, yeah. they are there to me, they're, you know, I know that's completely other company, but they're like the spiritual successor of the Gran Turismo, uh, experience for me that you can go in and, uh, all the customization options and just have some fun, yeah. you know, uh, tooling around track. Um, it's, it's one of my, uh, you know, one of my guilty pleasures playing racing games. Well, yeah, do you have I, do you have a favorite uh, or favorites uh, uh, racers or teams? Fav- I don't know how, favorite, how does that work. Uh, <laughs> well, McLaren has always been my team. Um, I've always followed McLaren, apart from a couple of years in the early two thousands where I followed Ferrari. Uh, but McLaren has been my team since I would say. 2003 2004 uh, ironically that's when schumacher was winning championship after championship for ferrari uh, so i switched my allegiance um away from the team that was actually dominating at the time um and since then mclaren have had one world championship um sorry um did they have one or did they have two i think they won two constructors and one drivers i'd have to check into that uh, unfortunately stats isn't um my uh, my thing I, c- I can go back and list drivers champions since about the mid 90s but constructors championships i struggle a little bit with but i think 
think um, I think they've had a couple of world championships and nothing since two thousand and eight. So uh, it's it's been a little uh, bit it's of been a drought. Hard. Yeah, it's been very much a drought. About four or five years ago, the McLaren was one of the slowest cars on the grid. This Ouch. year or twenty twenty one, they just lost out to Ferrari for, uh, and came fourth overall in the championship. Um, and that was only because they had a couple of poor races later on. But uh, they were the only team last year to score a 1-2 finish, even when you consider the likes of Mercedes and Red Bull, who were fighting for the championship at the time. Wow. So you've been uh, you've stuck with them, although through thick and thin then, uh, as a good fan should, right? Good supporter. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I do like to see the underdogs, though. So I generally won't complain if, and you know, a back of the grid team does well and they're up on the, uh, uh, you know, that they're up on the podium at the end. My other team is Williams, and it's even harder being a Williams fan at the moment because they have literally been the slowest team on the grid for the last <laughs> five or six years. Um, but uh. the that was a team as well that were winning championships back in the 90s. Uh, so, you know, it's um, I, I, I picked the two worst teams over the last five years. So what can I say? Uh, you know, hey, uh, at least you're loyal, though. That's what's that's what's. Yeah. Up. Well, you know, it is uh, by the time I think this airs, it may have already been the Super Bowl. I don't know when the Super Bowl actually is. Uh, the football, the American football championship here. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, speaking of underdogs, the Super Bowl, this this lineup, the the four teams that, uh, you know, that squared off for the semifinals um, were all teams that I could uh, see. I would like, you know, I any of them could go all the way and I would be just as happy. Um, one, I'm not I'm not a fan of. Any team, I'm not a football fan, um, but I do like to pay attention towards the end and see what's going on around Super Bowl time because, you know, that's the thing. When you watch the Super Bowl, everybody watches the Super Bowl. Um, It's like some kind of Christmas or something. It's a reason to make nachos, honestly. (laughs) Uh, And uh, but the teams this year were, you know, is the Bills and uh, the Rams and the 49ers uh, and the Bengals and a couple and the Chiefs uh, and a few of these teams that. While, you know, I don't have any direct connection to uh, people that either friends of mine or family uh, or regionally, um, you know, these teams have have been important. So, you know, Kansas City's not too far. So if the Chiefs do well, that's fine. I've got a lot of friends who are Bills fans. So if the Bills did well, that's fine. The Bengals, Cincinnati, they're the underdog. Like they haven't been to the Super Bowl or the playoffs in, I don't know, decades. Uh, So I'm always good for an underdog or an undercat since they're actually Tigers. Um, and then, uh, you know, the Rams, uh, spent some time in St. Louis, which is a town that's near and dear to my heart. Um, and so I got a little love for them. And then the 49ers I've been, um, fascinated by since I was a kid, probably because of the whole gold rush connection. I thought that was cool. Um, and so any of those teams, you know, I don't care who wins. I'm just looking forward to a good game and some Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre, uh, at the halftime show, you know, you said everyone watches the Super Bowl. I've never watched the Super Bowl. Um, but is is the halftime show that big a deal? Because I've heard that they get all these um, all these names on there. Um, how long does the halftime show go? Because in my mind, I think of things like um, soccer and the FA Cup final over here. And you know, if if the halftime lasts about fifteen minutes, then that's a long halftime. How long? do they get for these halftime shows? And, well, yeah, it must be that big a deal, I guess. It, it probably ends up being about half an hour. Um, the performance itself, okay. you know, probably 10 or 15 minutes, but, you know, you've got the setup and the teardown. And, and so there's commentary bookends as the teams are in the locker rooms. Uh, but I would wager probably about a half hour, yeah. Um, and it's gotten, you know, of course, like everything more elaborate over the years as the halftime show. The one that I remember the most, like, kind of kicked off the big, you know, the halftime show at the Super Bowl being a big event uh, was in the mid to late 80s uh, when Michael Jackson was the halftime show and it was going to be done in 3D. They broadcasted in 3D with the old blue and red, you know, and it was a Pepsi yeah. thing. It was, it was done as a stunt with Pepsi. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, I think that's the 
you know, one of the first times it became like the big deal to do the halftime show. Um, but, oh, but it is, it is a, uh, full on stage production. Yeah. Uh, so, wow. you know, and lots of, lots of, uh, things have happened at the Super Bowl halftime show over the years, you know, I think it was last year, the controversy was, uh, um, suggestive dancing, uh, Lord have mercy that we watch, um, talented people perform their art. Uh, and then, um, you know, way back in the early oddies, uh, um, there was the wardrobe, Janet Jackson's famous wardrobe malfunction. Uh, where she, <laughs> yeah, I she had a one. nip slip, you know, she had yeah. a nip slip. Uh, or, uh, yeah, you know, and unfortunately, uh, you know, she still, I think she still uh, takes heat for that. And it definitely wasn't her fault. Uh, and nor should it matter in the scheme no. of things. Lord have mercy. Whoopsie. We all have nipples, y'all. <laughs> Fun fact. Uh, well, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure there are people out there that have, were born maybe without them. I mean, it's statistically a thing that could probably mm. happen. I don't know. I'm not, you know, and and if you're in that, if you're in that group, I don't intend to marginalize you. <laughs> yeah, but there's nothing um, wrong with having them or not having them. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Exactly. Like some, you know, like uh, some, some of the sneeches on beaches have stars on theirs. That's just how things are. Um but uh, yeah, the it, you know the Super Bowl is an American cultural phenomena, um, and I think uh, it is usually if you you know you either watch it or you don't, and it tends to be the thing that it'll be the game that folks like myself who aren't uh, uh, who are ambivalent towards football will watch uh, out of all the year. Yeah. Um, it just I, you know football as a sport does not appeal to me. That's the I'd rather watch soccer or baseball. But that's fair enough um I, I'm, I mean to me usually if it doesn't have wheels on it then i'm not that interested but i do <laughs> Go fast. get into <laughs> I, I i do follow um international rugby uh rugby union um six nations is about to start here uh this this weekend uh, i don't know when this is going out but uh we're due to have the start of the six nations this weekend uh, as the defending champions, uh, we're looking forward to seeing how Wales do uh, going forward. Nice. Um, but uh, that's that's really as far as my interest goes when it comes to sports on the field with balls. But, um, but well, yeah. and rugby <laughs> is rugby is some other level stuff too compared to. Uh, uh, you know how we it's very similar to American football only with a lot less protection a lot less padding um, yeah. you do you do get some padding you'll see uh, you'll see some of the players uh, they've got helmets and gum shields but that's about as far as it goes yeah. um, uh, when I say helmets as well I'm not talking about the big sort of uh, motorcycle helmets that I've seen American football players wear uh, you're talking just like um, skull um, skull caps, things yeah, like that. Yeah. A little um, bit, a little bit of intermediary cushion, you know. Yeah, shin yeah. guards possibly, but that's it. Uh, you're on your own. Otherwise, if uh, uh, and a lot of people do get hurt um, in rugby as well, as you can imagine. In fact, um, there's been some call recently over here. Uh, some rugby players, some noted international rugby players, have actually started getting um, brain injuries and um, long-term medical problems because of the impacts that they've had um, yeah. over the years when playing rugby. So, yeah, it is a very, very tough sport. And, yeah, I enjoy watching it. I hated playing it when I was in school. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, Well, and, you know, and... and as as studies have proven even the level of protection and and as advanced as it has become over the years um when you throw you know 100 plus pound men at each or people at each other repeatedly um it's going to have consequence uh you know it doesn't matter i mean as as it's kind of like it's kind of like that you know what problem are you solving because as here in you know as, as football players here in America have gotten you know, more protected they've gotten larger uh, so they become more protected to, then they get bigger and so it's like you know it sounds like rugby is like well as long as everybody's playing to not hurt each other and we take some you know me, you know measured level of, of, of interest in protection um, then you know 
it seems to be kind of like the same thing, right? I mean, our player, those American football players are still getting hurt in the NFL with those kinds of same long-term. And, you know, rugby players are, you know, playing. It's still a tough sport, but they're not playing. You know, they're not trying to kill each other uh, because they're not wearing as much stuff, but they're still getting hurt in the same way. Um, I just, you know, seems like an interesting correlation. Yeah. Well, yeah, as I said, that's coming up um, over the next few weeks. So uh, six, the Six Nations, looking forward to seeing how that one works out. Nice, nice. Um, so let's let's circle back just a little bit to okay. Star Trek. Um, just kind of pick your brain real quick on uh, what the favorites are um, and a little bit about your your introduction to Star Trek. So when did Trek become a thing? When did it become a thing? Do you know what? Uh, I've been asked this before, and I, I've i seen people talk about it on Trek Twitter, which is a great place, incidentally, if you're a Star Trek fan, get involved mm-hmm. in Trek Twitter. There's a, a great community on there. Um, and they'll say, oh, yeah, I remember watching it. It was this episode with, um, uh, with Kirk and Spock, or it was this episode where Data did this, and I'm there going... I genuinely have no idea what my first episode was. Um, I'm going to take a punt at Star Trek Four. That's my mm-hmm. best guess. But even then, when I watched Star Trek Four, which would have been when I was 11, that still feels like I was too old, if that makes any sense. Yep. yep. Um, and I, I feel like I knew who those characters were at the time. Obviously, Next Generation hadn't come around at that point. I hadn't seen any of the original series. I know that much um, because I watched all of the original series for the first time when they repeated it on BBC Two in 1992, I want to say. But it's got to be one of the films. That is my best guess. And I'm pretty sure it's Star Trek Four or Star Trek Three at a push. Now, do you do you think that your familiarity, your sense of familiarity, came from just maybe cultural zeitgeist that, you know, Star Trek even then was was kind of present in everyone's uh, you know thought process? I mean, it was like it wasn't like it was a secret, I guess, um, or maybe perhaps you'd seen one of the older movies on TV before going to the cinema for this one, huh? Possibly. Um... I know my grandmother was into the original series uh, when it was on. And I do have memories of going home from school when I was young uh, and she'd be watching it uh, because my parents were both working. um, So my grandmother would babysit me um, and I'd go home and she'd be watching it. And I remember going in, seeing it was on the TV and thinking, oh God. And it was a case of, I was too young. I'd rather have put some cartoons on, um, right. or even, or even Knight Rider. That was that oh, was yeah. a big thing for me oh, in yes. the early eighties. Was Knight Rider. Yes. Um, but if Star Trek was on, it was think. Oh, I wasn't interested. Um, and that obviously changed over time. A big thing for me as well, growing up in the UK in the eighties, was Doctor Who. Uh, mm-hmm. So. I remember being absolutely hooked on Doctor Who. And there was a, a strange sort of crossover period in the UK because we didn't get Star Trek The Next Generation until 1990, I want to say. And the year before, Doctor Who had finished for what we thought was the last ever time. So I know I sort of got interested then in watching Next Generation. And... Encounter at Far Point. I think we rented a video uh, about six months before BBC Two started showing it, um, and that was it. Then uh, from Encounter at Far Point, that is definitely the point I became hooked. Oh even yeah, I yeah. know I'd seen Star Trek before that in some way, shape, or form. Wow. So um, you know, uh, just there's so many uh, folks our age. Um, with very similar stories if you're kind of a Trek fan. It either is something that you were exposed to through your family. Uh, Mm -hmm. For me, it was my uncle, uh, who is just three years older 
Uh, and so, you know, I was interested in whatever he was interested in because that it was obviously cool. If he was into it, then it was cool. And that included early on included Star Trek and Doctor Who. So thank goodness. Um, and so, you know, I I can't pinpoint the moment, but, you know, the memory mm-hmm. uh, is definitely four or five ish, six years old somewhere very early. Um, but but uh, in that next generation uh kind of cultural touchstone um reaches a lot farther and a lot deeper than i expected it did um back then right um i think it's touched so many more people than i expected it did just because well the world was such a smaller place back then right or a bigger place i guess we weren't able to be as in touch with each other as we are now and like you said, places like Trek Twitter certainly didn't exist. And um, it was a lot harder for us to get connected and relate these shared experiences uh, where, mm-hmm. you know, we have this we have this sense of family now because of our our joint introduction to to the next generation. Um, so favorite movie. You have a favorite movie. Favorite movie. Star Trek yeah. movie is yeah, favorite First Star Contact. Trek movie. Yeah, uh, hard to argue, honestly. Uh, First Contact lives in my top three. Uh, It's usually the motion picture, First Contact, and Beyond lately has been living there. But yeah, that that movie, um, the more I think about it, the more I watch it, the better it gets. That's just, Mm. it's absolutely fantastic. So I noticed, like me then, Wrath of Khan isn't in your top three. No, no, it's a great film. Uh, and it, it it would have won favorite status, uh, you know, a younger man's claim. Uh, but Trek is so much more expansive now. Um, and I, I appreciate different things from those three movies uh, that I named than um, and it doesn't trust me. Uh, it's hard. It's almost as though Wrath of Khan is sacrosanct at this point, though, because I mean, I saw it in the theater. I was I was right there when it aired, uh, when it when you know when it debuted in cinema, um, and I still distinctly you know have that memory of Spock's mm. fate and and how devastated that I was. Um, and even with all that, though, yeah, um, it's a lot less of a go to than it used to be uh, when it comes to wanting to get the most out of something Star Trek. You know, yeah, uh, yeah, and and for me. Space, uh, the Wrath of Khan obviously relies so much on the original series episode Space Seed as well. Um, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think that's probably why it didn't do it for me first time round because who, who is this guy? He, you know, who is this guy with what looks like a plastic chest? It isn't. Uh, <laughs> it isn't we've but, since yeah. found out that really was Ricardo Montalban's chest. Ripcardo um, Montalban, yeah. <laughs> how ripped was he um but yeah it's it, um at the time it was well okay yeah it, it's it's an interesting film obviously in hindsight i think it's a better film than it was but <clears throat> i preferred star trek 3 early on to star trek 2 because the emotional impact of spock dying yep. spoiler um, was obviously more important to me than whoever this guy was that had showed up on the Enter- well, sorry, I say showed up on the Enterprise, showed up on the Reliant, because yep. the the big thing about that is is that Kirk and Khan never meet in that film. Yep. They never share the screen other than through the screen. Mm. Which uh, you know, I don't know where the actors uh, seen or you know did they hang out together on on set? Which I imagine if they weren't in scenes together, they probably weren't shooting together. Uh, which is just even more so to those performances uh, being what they are, um, you know. And everything uh, aside from needing the context to to get the root of that story, um, everything else about it is is you know stellar. Uh, the Matara Nebula battle is, you know, that's some classic sci-fi yeah. uh, battle geometry and and uh, and everything. Um, you know, I there are very few there are very few 
battles, period, that, that look good. Um, very few space battles uh, narrow it down even farther. Um, and that is one of the things that, um, you know, take it or leave it if you do or don't like Nemesis. Uh, it has some of the best battle choreography in a Star Trek film that I've ever seen. Um, I mean, I agree I get, with you on that. Yeah, I think that that uh, final battle is so well mapped. You you know, uh, you get a sense of the weight of the ships and the presence of mm. the you know and all of it, um, and that is something that um, that is so craftily well done <laughs> in uh, in that sequence in uh, Rathacon, uh, to my opinion. You know, especially yeah. in all the practical effects uh, way of doing it too. Yeah, so many, so many good stuff. Yeah, I mean, The Wrath of Khan is basically a submarine movie, isn't it? Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. um, where, where they're navigating and trying to find each other through sonar pings. Um, and, you know, you don't know whether that submarine is above you or below you. But, yeah, I, I always think of The Wrath of Khan as being a submarine movie um, because of that sensational battle where they're trying to you know, feel each feel other each out other. try and find yeah. each other. Literally yeah. feel each other out. Mm. Um, and uh, it's one of the things, you know, uh, it kind of always lands to me that regardless of that outcome, you know, it, it, Kirk, he gets a lot of credit for being, you know, Mr. Shoot 'em up fighter. Uh, but if you pay closer attention, Kirk is more readily able and willing to be clever uh, than mm. than he is aggressive, you know. Um, he will fight, and he has, and and obviously that's that is a part of that character. But more often than not, he looks for the clever way out. Um, I think in a lot of ways too, just to prove Spock wrong. <laughs> like I can be clever, yeah. I can be smart, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's very much still trying to. Well, still, he, he's very much trying to prove himself still still to his his best friend uh, Spock yep. at the time. So yeah, yep. I completely. It's always, he's always going for one upsmith on someone who isn't playing the game. <laughs> oh, but okay. So first contact though. Uh, what about that? What 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 is your favorite moment in that movie? Do you have a favorite moment? Well, the one thing I've got to say, first of all, is I've got a good memory about First Contact because at the time I was a member of a Star Trek a Star Trek club called Kronos One here in Cardiff. Um, and we had the right to show a charity premiere in Wales. Um, so we, uh, we actually got to host it. We had some celebrity guests come along, no Star Trek actors, unfortunately, but they were... Uh, there were celebrities in uh, that were well known in the UK at the time. I think we had a couple of soap actors and what have you, and uh, we were all uh, publicising this. We raised money as well for uh, a charity called the Christian Lewis Trust, um, which raised uh, money for children with cancer. And uh, as a result, that film holds a very special memory for uh, for me. We did a, a similar thing then for Star Trek Insurrection when it came out. Um, but uh, for the film itself, I we couldn't really have picked a better film to do it for um, because we we all went in, and I don't think there was a single disappointed person. In the kids, we. Um, it blew us away with everything about it. The effects were incredible. Um, the the, the characterisation uh, and best of all as well, you see the new Enterprise in as a practical effect. As a practical effect. As um, a, yeah, absolutely. Which, as, a, as an actual ship. Which is where Insurrection... Um, uh, for a lot of reasons, I've come to I've come to love it uh, as as kind of you know a little bit of a problem child from my past, but I do like Insurrection now uh, a lot more than I used to just poo poo it off to the side as just an extra long episode. Uh, but it has a lot of merits. Uh, one of them is not the special effects; <laughs> um, uh, they did not no. date well, uh, and that is that is one of the things where Nemesis again stands out is that it is in a, it is in that CGI sweet spot where that that CGI model looks very close to the practical model uh, from mm. First Contact. Uh, but far, First Contact fell in that sweet spot of filmmaking where yeah. 
you know, we still did. And, and that sweet pot, sweet spot that we seem to have circled back around to again, where there is so much value in that practical effect, um, Mm -hmm. that you then, you know, you value add with the, with the computer generated, uh, imagery as well. Um, and, Mm -hmm. and first contact is in that, is in that nascent phase where we didn't know to do too, we weren't, ready to do too much with computers yet. We were too afraid to do too much with computers, but they were still part of that process, part of that tool. And it just, it comes off so well, but that, that pass, that flyby to, 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 you know, broadside itself between uh, the cube and the defiant, it chills every time, every time. I mean, I can watch it like 20 times in a row on purpose. And every time just like, Oh, you know, I, it's just it's everything about that shot is beautiful. It's one of the best yeah. effect shots I've ever seen. Even the Phoenix as well, where the, you know the Phoenix looks out and yep. um, Zephram Cochran sees the Enterprise. Sweet Jesus! Yeah, um, <laughs> it's and the thing is, you're talking about the difference between the special effects and digital effects. This was only like what four years after. To Jurassic Park and five yeah. years after Terminator 2 and yep. you thought that they pushed the boundaries in in regards to computer effects but even when you go back and you look at Terminator 2 and don't get me wrong at the time it absolutely blew my mind seeing the transformation effects the morphine effects of the T-1000 you go back and look at it now and you can see that it's early CGI um, the moment where the T-1000 is walking through the flames and you see the, the, the amorphous metal blob of the T-1000. Right. And it doesn't quite hold up these days, unfortunately. Um, likewise, when you see him getting shot um, and these things just appear uh, on his chest. But, you know, at the time they looked amazing, but just four or five years later, I don't know if Star Trek could have done that as well um, as they did in later years. Uh, obviously, you talk about the computer effects of Insurrection and Nemesis. I'll put it to you as well. Look at the Enterprise D in Picard. Yeah. How yeah. good did that look? Yeah. And yeah. we're still another, well, almost 30 years past that. Terminator 2. That makes you feel old, and oh, Jurassic it does. Park. It does. Yeah. Um, and two, I was I was thinking, uh, in uh, you know, in that regard, just because, like I said, Next Generation rolled up after my TOS rewatch uh, uh, ended. Thank you, Paramount Plus. Uh, and um, and thinking then in the terms of these are the remastered, updated HD effects. Uh, you know, from the TNG remaster from however long ago. Uh, and I was thinking about, man, if uh, if I keep giving Paramount like 10 bucks a month, maybe they'll go back and they'll re-update the updated effects with the new Enterprise model from Picard. <laughs> and how good would that look? Uh, but that's just me being remaster. jelly. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Uh, no, seriously, give me D, uh, DS9 and HD first before yes. we redo anything else ever. Please, thank you. Uh, and let's just get Voyager in there. Do it because it's hard. Come on. Where's, DS9 where's your Kennedy Voyager. moment when you need it? <laughs> <laughs> DS9 and Voyager are the only things we don't have in HD at the moment. That's um, right. We chose to do these things. Yeah. Not because they um, are easy, but because they are hard. <laughs> um, and you talk about Paramount Plus. Aren't Paramount Plus doing a big 4K update on the motion picture at the moment as well? Yep. 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 And um, I have the. And if I have that the. Works uh, as well. I have the um, digital files of the 4K. Uh, I have the digital purchases of the 4K. The first four Trek movies have been uh, released to digital 4K as well. Um, mm. but, uh, those are, I've decided there are certain things in this life, uh, that matter enough to me. I went, I, I've, I've got, I went through a, I don't have enough room anymore phase, uh, when it comes to collecting, uh, because, uh, turns out small kids take up a lot of room and, um, as they get older, they take up more, they don't take up any less room. It's just more densely used. So all of their stuff ends up in, you know, a tight, more tightly packed space. And I get some of my space back. 
so I've decided, um, although, you know, I, I have a, a vast catalog of, of digital movies, uh, content I've purchased, um, some of that stuff uh, I've, I've gotten from the, the physical copies I bought, but I quit updating, you know, um, and I've decided there are things that, that are worth owning in a corporeal sense. Um, and so the Trek movies are going to be, uh, you know, they're on the list. So, as, you know, as the 4K updates come out, I'm going to grab those. Uh, the MCU is on that list. So I'm going to get the ultra 4K versions of, of all of those properties um, just to have that collection, you know, that thing. And in that regard today, uh, right before we recorded, um, I, uh, I saw a package had arrived. I wasn't even expecting that it was coming today. I just hadn't I guess, paid attention to the notices. Uh, but it was um, a package of paperbacks that I bought off of. Uh, oh, can't re remember the place. Um, but it's the it's the old paperback uh, Robotech novels from the mid to late eighties. Uh, oh, I, I never read, read them. When I was but a I teenager. Mm. Yeah, and uh, well, I it's it's it anime. Uh, my 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 love of anime is is very small. Uh, you know, it's very few properties because because there was limited access. Robotech is one of those. And mm -hmm. um, I have, you know, I got the I got the box set of the uh, the the HD updates comes with it came with a toy and some patches. It's really cool. Um, and uh, and then I was like, you know, I want to I want I want those books. I want to know. I want I wanted to buy them just to read them. And well, they're not in print anymore. And they pulled them from digital. Uh, and so I was like, well, surely they're somewhere. And I found them, you know, secondhand through the internet, five bucks is so a piece. And, uh, the first 12, which is the original Canon showed up today. Uh, and uh, I was just like, oh, this is so great. And Jeff, the best part, because they're yeah. used, there was a, someone left their bookmark in there and it's a ticket stub for a movie. Uh, and oh. I just, you know, that's just a cool little thing, right? That's, some, that's somebody's history there. That's, that's, that's a moment exactly. in somebody's history. What and I took, I took a moment. Uh, oh, gosh. A, a Walk in the Clouds, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's from a minute ago. But that 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 exact sentiment was the moment I took that. And I was like, I, I got excited when I saw it. I was like, oh, there's a bookmark in here. I wonder what it is. you know. And, and, and then I started to anticipate. I hope it's something that was meaningful in some way, right? Like, is it, yeah. uh, you know, is it, is it a picture or is it what? And I pulled it out and it's like, oh, it's a ticket stub. And I just kind of thought about it for a minute and was like, you know, like I thought about all the ticket stubs that I have somewhere in a, in mm -hmm. a thing at my mom's house that, you know, like maybe was this someone's first date? I don't know. Maybe could be probably it is now. Right. <laughs> just something like that. <laughs> and you that. built and, uh, up this whole history of that person in your head i did i did you know and 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 it's uh you know let there be some some stupid little remnant of me like that somewhere in the world you know long after i'm gone that someone puts together this this fictional fantasy about what it was that i did <laughs> <laughs> well they, they can they can listen to all the podcasts and go in ah so that's who he is <laughs> that's who he is that's true yeah leave it to posterity that's for sure yeah uh, not the posterior but the posterity um <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeff, man, I really appreciate you making time to come to the show. I hope you've enjoyed it here uh, as we digress. I have enjoyed um, it. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, the, the good news is that uh, if you've been keeping up, we come back around eventually and we, we visit again later on down the road as there's always going to be some catching up to do. Um, but uh, go ahead and let the people know what it is you're involved in, where you're able to be found and uh, how they can link up with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before I do, though, I'm going to give you a bit of homework. So if I do get invited back, I want you to watch Red Dwarf. Oh, yeah. No, nope, we've Red talked Dwarf. about that. Yeah, I need to do yeah. that. Okay. Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. <laughs> I'll go do there's only There's there's only 12 seasons of it. You're fine. And, and it's short UK seasons, seasons so right? Yeah, I was going to say it's short. Long. Yeah, sure. That's like <laughs> basically right. like two seasons of US television. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's about 80 episodes in total, which will take See? you about... 40 50 hours to get through um yeah, but no yeah <laughs> uh i'm on twitter uh at ncc underscore one seven formula one um because obviously star trek and motorsport um you dipped into retro gaming a little bit earlier you're you were talking about things like gran turismo um i have got another channel at the moment for 
um, of interest to any retro gamers, particularly if you are a UK person and you remember an 80s computer called the Sinclair Spectrum. We're doing a um, the Spectrum World Cup over there at the moment, or the World Cup of Spectrum games, I should say, where we're trying to find what the best uh, game of all time is. Um, that can be found at, at Specky World Cup. And of course, my co-host Baz Greenland would be uh, very disappointed if I didn't mention at Beyond Far Point, uh, our Twitter feed for uh, our podcast. So there you go. There They are the best places to get hold of me at NCC underscore 17 Formula 1 at Specky World Cup and at Beyond Far Points. There you go, folks. Uh, and I uh, highly recommend uh, checking out uh, Beyond Far Point uh, if you are interested at all in, um, in the easy to digest uh, and, uh, you know, well-reasoned uh, podcast regarding Star Trek. Uh, and it comes out at a, at a digestible pace. Um, you know, uh, I got a lot of shows that, uh, that I have to kind of scramble to get to, uh, because they drop weekly, uh, having something that, um, you know, adds value to my day and also does it, uh, uh you know, at a, at a leisurely pace, uh, makes it easy for me. So again, Jeff, thank you so much. Listeners, thank y'all so much. Uh, and uh, hopefully we'll hear you or you'll hear us back again after this next week. Uh, and with that, I would like to say thank you and good night.